Welcome to another episode of the My Creative District podcast, where we discuss how to channel your creative power into building the life you want, building the business you want, and making the impact you want. We believe creatives can live out a passionate and fulfilled life when they completely embrace their unique design and purpose. Want to turn your passion into profit? Stay tuned to hear from industry professionals, paradigm shifters, and world changers who have done just that and live it every day. This is the My Creative District podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. Hey guys, today I am interviewing Sydney Spohn and we'll be discussing everything from ballet to dance education and how it can set you up for success as a successful dancer. But before we begin, I want to remind you that my Creative District and Worldwide Dance Challenge has just reopened enrollment in the Worldwide Dance Academy. If you know anyone that is interested in learning how to create a platform around their passion for dance and how they can monetize it, Make sure you head over to WorldwideDanceChallenge.com forward slash academy to learn more. Now, I am super excited about today's guest. Sydney has so much experience in dance. She is an educator, freelance artist, and a consultant for dancers and organizations. After 20 years tenure as a professor of dance at the University of Akron, where she mentored and advised students with diverse backgrounds and interests. Sydney founded Solutions in Motion to help dancers of all ages take their next steps and prepare high school students for college readiness, acceptance, and career success. Now, Sydney has danced professionally for a number of years, was with North Carolina Dance Theater, and as a soloist with Pennsylvania Ballet. So I am super excited to get into this conversation. Sydney, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jesse. It's great to be here with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now that's quite the resume. have spent a lot of time in ballet. Also kind of did something that's been unique to anybody that I've talked to and spent a lot of your time with your passion for dance in the education sector, which I think is super unique. But before we get into all that, I like to build context around my guests so that my, you know, my listeners can get to know you a little bit. So I want to go back and I mean back to like <laughs> the 13 year old version of Sydney. Now, was dance like always the thing for you or like what was going on in your 13 year old world? Yeah. Wow. My 13 year old world was all about dance. That's I lived and breathed it. That's all I wanted to do. And, you know, most particularly ballet. I started dancing when I was four and oh, wow. I got into okay. it because, yeah, because my cousins did it and I did everything my cousins did. I just followed them. But along the way, you know, I took tap classes. I took other dance forms, but ballet is really what stuck with me personally. And by the time I was probably 12 or 13, I knew that that was my path and that I had no question about whether I was going to go on to a career or not. That was just what I was going to do. Now, I, I want to ask right there. So like you knew at 13, what was it about 
dance that just like made you know because i joke all the time at 13 years old most of us are still trying to figure out if we like spaghettios with or without meatballs let alone like <laughs> what i really want to do so what was was there like a defining moment for you or what just made it click for you that you knew that's what you wanted to do yeah there was no defining moment i think just my experiences growing up in the dance studio you know, dance is a really social activity too. So you're, you're moving and dancing with your best friends and you're in the studio, ha you're having so much. So there was the social aspect of it. You know, I, I had, my, my best friends were from the age of like five, we grew up dancing together and we do sleepovers. And it was just like so ingrained in part of my life, you know, because my friends were dancers too. But I just love the movement. I love the challenge. I was good at it. You know, I was talented and I was encouraged along the way. I started going to, away to summer dance camps at the age of, I think it was like nine or 10. So I would have these just awesome experiences, meeting people from around the country and sometimes around the world too, dancing with them, learning from different teachers and then performing too, of course. I, I got to perform a lot when I was a kid. So it was a very gratifying experience. And I even performed to live music, which was also special, like live orchestras. We do the Nutcracker in December and we do other performances throughout the year. And, you know, just so many factors, it just all just worked for me. You know, I, I just loved, loved the feeling that I had when I danced. It just made me feel so good. Now, when you said that you knew that you wanted to be a dancer, that can mean a lot of different things. So in your, it, what did you already know, like what direction you wanted to go with dance at 13? Yeah, I mean, I was focused on ballet. So ballet was definitely where I was channeling all my efforts. I was training in other styles too, but ballet, you know, I love dancing on point. The sensation of, you know, being on the very tips of your toes and just finding your balance. It's, you know, the nuance that is required in your body to be able to balance and the feeling, the lightness, you know? So ballet was definitely my focus. And, but I love doing contemporary work and modern dance too. And I, like I said, I trained in it. So I beca actually became a very good contemporary ballet dancer as well. So I wasn't just, I was classically trained in ballet technique, but I also got to work with and perform a lot of contemporary ballets and even modern works too. So I was, I had a well-rounded training background, relatively speaking. Now with today's standards, it wouldn't have been, but you know, many, how many years ago, 30, 40 years ago, having like modern dance, contemporary dance and ballet, you were well considered a well-rounded dancer. And we didn't have hip hop dance at that time, right? I mean, it didn't exist when I, when I was really young, but anyway, so from performing, you know, I was just challenging all my energy into, into ballet and I would go see professional ballet companies perform in New York city. And I'd go take ballet classes from great teachers in New York city. I would tell my mom, you got to take me to New York. I got to go, you know, like every three or four months. I'm like, I got to get to New York. I've got to take classes from these teachers and be around you know, professionals. I was, I was 13 taking classes with professional ballet dancers, you know, just in open classes in New York. It was such a thrill, you know, just so many factors involved now, there. I want to, I want to ask this question because you bring up two big points that I think I really, before we, we, we move on to the next part here, you did, you said two things. You were constantly 
going to performances, constantly going to class. Now, I, you know, we live in a generation of YouTube, Instagram, and now TikTok. And I know a lot of dancers that that's how they learn is they, you know, they consume content through Instagram or they consume content through YouTube, which I think is, is great. It, it opens the opportunity for some people that don't have access. But I think what also happens is people think that that's all that they need to do. Why do you think that it was more beneficial for you to continue to be going to classes with people instead of just consuming it, you know, through the TV or any other means that you could consume it at that time? Yeah, that's a really good question. Again, when I was young in my formative years, I didn't have access to the videos. Really, I could only see dance live for the most part, or sometimes you could buy some videos and watch them. And sometimes on PBS, they had great performances. And if they'd have dance on one of the shows, it was just like, wow, everyone was talking about it. My dance studio, like, you gotta watch it, you know? So that was the only exposure I got through a two-dimensional lens, whereas I had to see dance live to in order to learn more about it. And fortunately, I lived in upstate New York, so it was a five-hour train ride into New York City to see performances there. And you know, I was fortunate that we had the means to you know, buy tickets to go see American Ballet Theater or New York City Ballet and other companies. And then sometimes dance companies would come to my hometown too and perform. So my mother was very good about buying tickets and she would also take me to the orchestra often too. So just listening to live music and classical music as well, that kind of exposure. But, you know, it's, it's so important to train with so many different types of people, mm -hmm. different types of teachers to get different perspectives because it just helps you be a more flexible dancer. Like, and I don't mean flexible physically, I mean mentally. Like if yeah. you're not flexible mentally and willing to try new approaches to say a te technique, then your body won't be flexible either. So learning from different types of teachers and different styles of teaching is really what is to me so important for dancers to do today. So yes, learn different styles and learn them from videos that are, are accessible to you, but the instruction and the teaching, like the insights that you wouldn't get just by watching a video, you know, because technique is so important for, you know, safety and longevity of the dancer. A lot of dancers can figure out how to do movement, but they might not be doing it in the most, most healthy way. And mm -hmm. so they could end up injuring their joints, you know, so you want to, you want to train with teachers that give you good instruction for technique too. I so, think the other thing that's, that's important to be said too, is that you learn to fail around other people. You learn to make mistakes because when you go into, if the commercial route is something that you want to do, and oftentimes you audition, when you audition, you audition with a lot of different people, the people that are, are doing the hiring, whether it's the choreographer or, you know, the campaign manager or whatever, they're going to be watching all the, the dancers right there. And if you're not used to failing in front of people, if you're not used to making a mistake in front of people, you don't understand how to dance through that. And that really hinders, that can really hinder you from, from being able to move forward in your career. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. I agree too. It's important to be able to explore, try and fail or try and succeed or whatever it is, you know, but that you're around other people while you're doing it. And it's really about curiosity and the ability to explore and say, okay, that didn't work or, oh, I can't do this. I need, uh, how do I do this? And then you have, you know, teachers around you or even other peers around you to have that conversation, to discuss it rather than being isolated uh, in your own home, watching a video and learning how to do something. So certainly the failure piece is so important and, and we need to celebrate failure more. You know, that's like a big thing to me that I really try to instill in, in, in all of my students is failure is an opportunity to grow and learn. We use them as opportunity as opportunities, right? Not as a way to just feel bad about ourselves. No, I was just saying it depends too on the type of people you're around that, you know, if you're around teachers who are not supportive, you know, of a student who has a hard time getting a step or getting a combination, they don't pick it up quickly, you know, and they feel chastised or they feel inferior to other people or they're being compared to other students, you know, that's not a healthy environment to be in. You know, we need to make sure that that all dancers and dance educators and anyone who's in the, in the same space with each other, that we're all supporting curiosity and exploration and celebrating failures and mistakes. I definitely agree with that. I think one of, on a flip side of that too, is I feel like we are in a little bit of an entitled culture where people feel like if they have a certain number of Instagram followers or they have a certain social media following or because they showed up, they deserve the job. And I think I hear this now from even working choreographers, like that is something that is starting to see more and more is the work ethic or the thick skin is starting to deplete because they're not used to getting somebody telling them no they're not used to getting somebody to give them good feedback that is going to help them grow they think that you know they're they uh they shouldn't hear the no's and so sometimes taking class in a live environment where somebody can give you feedback is something that you need to have so that you can develop the thick skin. So when you go and get the 15, 20, 30 no's before you hear your first yes, you don't throw in the towel and say, well, I guess I'm just not meant for this. Yeah. Like, and what you're talking about here is resiliency because you, right. No is, is a big word that's used very frequently in the dance world, right? We're all on the receiving end of no, no, thank you. Or, you know, we're not interested. Thank you very much. You know, and, and I certainly experienced that a lot. When I was 18, graduating from high school, I auditioned for many ballet companies and I got the one yes. (laughs) All I needed was one and I did get it, but I was persistent. And that's how you have to be. And you have to find find that one yes. If it's meaningful to you, you keep persisting through it. And so knowing how am I going to get through the nose and keep going? And what's my, you know, what's my support mechanism or my support, you know, structure? Who are the people around me who are going to support it? So yeah, you have to get used to that non-acceptance, really. Um, It's not so much failure, but it's just not being accepted, right? And it's mentally very challenging and a lot of dancers have a hard time with it. And so if you're not 
say, training with different types of teachers or working around people and giving yourself exposure to uh, working with other people, it's you're not going to get used to the non-acceptance. Yeah. I, I Maybe you won't agree. be the best person in the room. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now let's, I think that's a great segue. So I know that, you know, being a professional dancer and being able to say that you're a professional dancer, because you don't, you're not just going around and (laughs) it doesn't just say professional dancer on your IG handle, which I see a lot of, you know, professional choreography. Oh, who have you choreographed for? Well, nobody like you're a professional dancer. What jobs have you booked? Well, not you, you know, you've held lead roles. And as a, as a ballet dancer, that's a coveted spot to say that you were a lead role in any particular ballet, you know, performance is a, is a big deal. So let's talk about, you know, that road from you, you mentioned it briefly, but in high school, when you knew that this is what you wanted to do, you just told me that you went to a bunch of different places and heard a bunch of different no's. Tell me that, that journey that you went through from, you know, high school to actually getting that lead role spot? What did that look like? A lot of persistence. (laughs) Yeah, you know, just like being okay with rejection. I I don't remember how many, so I auditioned for ballet companies. I auditioned for a lot of ballet companies, even that were based in Europe, but they held auditions in New York City. So at the time I was living in North Carolina, I was at North Carolina School of the Arts as a high school student. And back back then, they had $36 flights on People's Express to New York City from North Carolina. So I would jump on the plane and go to these auditions with my friend, my fellow dancer. And sometimes I would be in a room with, you know, 100 other ballet dancers. And the artistic director was auditioning. And right after the first combination, right in ballet, we do plies first. So right after the plies, at the bar, he would come around and shake people's hands. And I was one of them. He shook my hand and said, thank you very much. So I went, you know, I went that distance and I barely got two minutes of auditioning and he really didn't get to see me move. He got to see me do just, you know, a little warm up exercise. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, that's what happens. You go to these cattle calls and he was looking, he might be looking for a body type or he's looking for someone with a certain hair color or height. You never know, you know, so there's that you have to deal with. And I did. And then sometimes I would make it right to the very end. I would get through all the cuts and then they would say, you know, we'll be in touch with you. And then I'd never hear back from anybody. So I did not necessarily audition well, and I did not have the best body type like there were other dancers who had thinner legs or you know longer legs or whatever so i i didn't show great in an audition in the dance studio where i really actually i think shined was on stage and performing so i was lucky that the company that hired me had actually seen me perform and the artistic director had seen me perform so he knew what i was capable on stage not just in the studio so I was very fortunate to get that job, that one job that got me my foot in the door as a professional dancer. And then, you know, just working in in the company, I was with North Carolina Dance Theater for three years, and it was a small company. It was about 18 dancers, and we toured the U.S. And because it was such a small company, it gave me the opportunity to do some soloist roles. 
and to, the, the artistic director took some chances on me and gave me, you know, leading roles. So I got a lot of experience from the age of 18 to 21 dancing lead roles and performing them on stages all across the country. And some of the stages were the size of the, my bathroom, you know, they were so small. And then some stages were beautiful and big, like, you know, the Kennedy Center in Washington, DC. And it made me be a much more uh, flexible dancer. I could adapt in any space and perform you know, on any type of floor or stage or environment that we performed in a lot of not so good environments, but I made every performance count for myself. So I took, you know, it didn't matter if, you know, we had crappy dressing rooms, you know, once we got out on stage, all of us, you know, in the company, we just coveted the opportunity to perform and that there were people out in an audience to watch us and that we were performing great rep repertoire. So after three years, I started auditioning for other companies because I wanted to go in a, into a bigger company. And once again, I got a lot of rejection and it was really hard for me. I didn't think I was going to be able to get out of that company and go somewhere else, even though I had a good resume and I'd had three years of professional performing and some great ballets that I had performed that are very well known. So, you know, people knew that I was capable of dancing it, but, um, dancing like good ballet repertoire. But again, so my story is my ballet mistress at North Carolina Dance Theater went to Pennsylvania Ballet, which Pennsylvania Ballet is a much larger company. Uh, it's one of the larger companies in the US. And I had worked with her and loved working with her. And she went to Pennsylvania Ballet and I was devastated when I found out she was like leaving me behind. Oh wow, that's and a long audition. So anyway, <laughs> I went and auditioned for Pennsylvania Ballet because she called me up and said, hey, there's an opening. Why don't you come and audition? But I had auditioned for them prior to that and they rejected me, but she helped get me in the door. I went and took com company class and worked with them for a full week before they offered me the job. So it was actually like I, my audition lasted for several days until they finally said, okay. Yeah, I know. And, yep. but you know, thank God for my, for the ballet mistress, her name was Kim. Otherwise, I don't know. I don't know if they would have given me, you know, the chance because they had already rejected me once a few months prior. And then uh, once Kim got to the company and said, you know, I think you really need to take a look at this dancer. So, you know, it's like the networking is so important. Sometimes it's who, you know, you need that 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 connection and someone who can vouch for you and say you know what i know she maybe she doesn't look the best in class but you know when you when she performs she really shines and i can vouch for that and you know they they're, they're credible they their opinion is credible so um, that's why also training with so many different types of teachers and different people it like builds your network and allows you to meet people and a lot of times just knowing people is is all you need to get your foot in the door i agree and and, and we talk a lot about network uh, on this show i'm a big believer it's it's what helped me grow worldwide dance challenge it's what always has helped me in the business world is is building those relationships and and you have to get out there you have to rub shoulders with people you have to invest you know um invest you know resources time money you know like you said you had 
go five hour train ride just to be able to get into New York City and watch these, you know, these performances. But that was an investment in your career. Mm -hmm. But let's I want to talk now, you know, you, you went from becoming a professional dancer and you made an interesting shift. It's not something I hear too often, but you know, on this podcast, we talk a lot about, you know, building a, a platform around your passion but in, you know, out of the box ways, right? And different ways. So many people think that the only way to make it in dance or the only way that they're going to love their, their career in, in any performance, whether it's singing, acting, you know, dancing uh, as a musician, whatever the deal is, as a creative is going a certain route, but you kind of shifted and went from being a professional dancer into the education sector. What caused you to shift in that direction? Uh, quite frankly, I was in a way forced to think, uh, think, what am I going to do next after performing? So I was at Pennsylvania Ballet for 10 years. I became a soloist there. I joined the core, uh, core de ballet, and then I was promoted soloist, and I got to perform you know, wonderful, great principal roles. And uh, about 10, you know, 10 years down the road, I'm realizing, hmm, you know what, my artistic director he didn't cast me in a role I've done before. What's going on? You know, and then I start to see, well, he's actually casting other dancers over me. So, you know, I had to have a talk with him and I could just from the conversation, I saw the writing on the wall. Like he started losing interest in me. I was 32 and he was choosing dancers who were much younger. And, you know, for whatever reason, he started to lose taste, his taste in my dancing. And th that's what he said to me. So, you know, it was very hard yeah, to hear. Oh, it was, it was horrible. You know, and every ballet dancer's career, performing career comes to an end at some point. Uh, it just does, because you get too old and your body just doesn't hold up. You just can't, can't handle it, particularly with ballet. But anyway, so I, you know, I knew I had a more time performing, but I didn't want to be in an environment where, uh, you know, I was being passed up, passed up. So. I was, again, very fortunate once again. Uh, I knew somebody at the University of Akron. I actually danced with a dance professor at the University of Akron at Pennsylvania Ballet. So he went out there a year or two before me because uh, that was actually his hometown and whatever. He, he started teaching there and, and was a professor. And they were looking for uh, someone full time. So he's, he let me know, hey, you know what? There's this job opening. Maybe you want to try out for it. So. I said, you know, I have to at least try. I don't know what I'm going to do when I stop dancing. I might not even be hired back next year, you know. So I've got, I've got to think, you know, quickly and act quickly. So I was forced to, and luckily, you know, in a way, it was sort of a blessing because I left Pennsylvania Ballet on my own terms when the University of Akron hired me. And even though I knew my artistic director, you know, was definitely thinking you must have been thinking about getting rid of me like how much longer am i going to keep sydney here you know maybe another year maybe not so again knowing somebody helped me get another job and i had to prove myself i had to prove myself capable of teaching you know and being being in an academic environment and also being able to choreograph because dance professors do a lot of choreography for dance concerts um, in the university setting so you know, I did have the ability to meet the job requirements and, 
again, I was, I was actually turned down from the University of Akron the first time. Oh, wow. um, they actually gave the job to someone else. And then that person left and the University of Akron invited me back to come back and try again. And then that second chance, I, I um, acquired the job. So, and I, I started there as an instructor because I didn't have any degrees. I started performing right out of high school and in academia, they want people to have the credentials, you know, the educational credentials. So I started as an instructor, a full-time instructor. I got an undergraduate degree in labor economics and then a master's degree in education and was able to transition into a tenure track professor job and ultimately, you know, went through all the, I jumped through all the hoops and ultimately got tenure and promotion to full professor. So because you hadn't gone through the education sector in your dance career, right? You went right from high school to performing right away. What were some of the things that you started to realize were a benefit to dancers by going the education route? Because I, I, I think that there's, there's not many dancers they have their high their eyes set on hollywood or that next tour or whatever that they don't think that going to college for dance really is something that is valuable in the commercial sector but what did you learn now dabbling in that for 20 years that the education sector can actually help you the education higher education is definitely recognizing the need to offer dancers training in many different dance styles. So modern dance was predominantly a focus in, in higher education. And then ballet usually takes second chair. Uh, again, depending on the type of dance program you're in. Some dance programs emphasize ballet, but a lot of them will emphasize modern. You know, again, it depends on where you go. But now we're seeing programs in commercial dance. We're seeing programs that offer training and even degrees with a hip hop emphasis and, and then jazz and tap and you know, other dance forms too and, and dance forms from the African diaspora as well. So there, depending on where you wanna go and what avenue you wanna take, including commercial dance, you can go to college for commercial dance now. And there's some really excellent programs out there that do that. And the wonderful thing about going to college is let's just talk about the networking piece because that's something we've yeah. already discussed here when you're in college you're networking with your peers who are going on to into the field that you're going into so you're gaining these relationships with your peers you're also networking with the faculty who have access to the industries mm. that you're interested in because they a lot of them come from those backgrounds and they be they were professional dancers, say in commercial dance or musical theater or you know ballet or modern or tap. So then they become dance professors too. And, and so again, they know a lot about how the industries work. On top of that, guest artists are always brought into college dance programs to choreograph on students. Sometimes they have residencies with dance companies too. So you get so much so much exposure as a college dance student to people who are working in the industry and in the field. So there's that networking piece that's so valuable. And dancers who maybe graduate high school and say go right to New York or go to Chicago or to go out to LA, 
it's really hard to network. Yes, you might find a studio where you take classes and you start to meet people, but the, the connections aren't really strong. You're just another body in the room and maybe you meet a couple friends uh, and you might hear about a couple of auditions. But you know, when you're actually working over a period of time with guest artists at a college setting, you know, the, there's been numerous instances where a guest uh, residency, a, a dance company will see a student in college and have their eye on that student. So when they graduate college, they're like snatching them up, you know, to hire them for their company. Or, or maybe, you know, a guest choreographer comes in from LA, uh, from the commercial industry. And again, it gives you uh, exposure and you get to work very closely with those choreographers where you wouldn't otherwise, you wouldn't have the opportunity to otherwise. So there's that big piece. But then at the same time, you're also not just training in college, but you are learning how to write and how to communicate effectively verbally and in written forms. You're learning how to research. You can learn about grant writing for the arts. You, you're also learning about critical thinking and learning about a lot of different dance styles too, because we know these days you have to be very versatile as a dancer. You can't just do one form anymore. And, and just having exposure and training in other styles, maybe you're not gonna be good enough to be hired in that style, but it does give you the versatility and again, helps you become a more flexible, adaptable dancer too. So the academic piece, um, from my perspective, you can't just be a dancer anymore. You have to really understand entrepreneurship. You have to understand business in order to be successful in the arts because there's so many different avenues to be able to use your passion to build a platform. But if you don't know how to be an entrepreneur, you don't know how to market, if you don't know how to communicate, if you don't know how to sell, you're just going to really struggle. And yes, you can still go the commercial route, but then again, you're, you're fighting for the same position that everybody else is in the exact same way that everybody else is. When you study how to be an entrepreneur, how to build a platform, how to do different things, you start to realize that you have skill sets that serve your passion for, for performing in, in different ways that are valuable to the same people you're trying to audition for. And so it's, it's definitely an interesting, uh, an interesting you know, avenue to go. Now, you know, you spent time as a professional dancer, you spent time in the education sector, and then you pivoted again <laughs> and you started, <laughs> you started a, a consulting company. So, so tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what you're currently up to. Yeah. So uh, I know 20 years in higher education, I decided, you know, well, for a variety of reasons I left and I also moved away from the area too. So it wouldn't have been easy for me to keep my job at Akron. So I left and I'm like, you know, what am I going to do? And all my life, I had always been associated with either like a large organization, like a university or a large company, like the Pennsylvania Ballet or North Carolina Dance Theater. Like I was part of something. And this was like the first time in my life that I'm not. And it was a little scary for me, but I know I have so many skills that I've developed 
as a dancer, as an educator, I wore so many different hats as a professor in higher ed. Um, admit, I had wore a lot of administrative hats. I was a researcher, I choreographed, I directed, you know, I had to manage staff, you know, so I developed a lot of leadership abilities. I chaired so many different searches for faculty. So with all that combined, I realized, you know, I actually have a lot to give back to the field of dance and to help dancers in a variety of ways and to help organizations too. So what I do now is I, uh, it's a shifted a little bit because of COVID, but I think it's actually helped me refine what it is that I want to do with this business that I have. So I'm mostly working right now with organizations to help them fill gaps in education that they can't do with their dancers. So for example, with private dance studios, you know, teachers are in the studio, they're focused on training and they don't have time to do a whole lot of other stuff. But I'm coming in and offering like a series of leadership classes for their students. And then I'm also offering career workshops. And, you know, how do you develop an action plan to, you know, achieve the goal that you want to achieve? And then I do, I do, do presentations for parents and teachers and students on the value and benefits of a dance degree. I do presentations on, you know, how do I go about searching for a dance degree? So that, you know, what are the questions that I should be asking? You know, a lot of dancers don't know how, how to even start thinking about, you know, well, what kind of a college dance program should I look for? And what questions should I be asking? So I do that for organizations and schools. And then I do do some uh, individual work too. I have private clients that I'm helping them uh, with job applications. A lot of job applications, again, depending on the job require a, teaching philosophy or an artist statement and certainly a resume or a, a curriculum vita. Um, so I have so much experience with that sort of thing too that I, I provide that type of assistance. So sort of anything dance related, I can offer my services to the field, whether it's a private dance studio, an a dance organization that might have a dance company and a school connected to it. So I've worked with um, organizations like that. And then I am offering public workshops too. So I've been promoting those. And then, you know, people, I find dancers will come to me, you know, with a variety of needs. And I can tell them, well, yes, I can help you with this. Or, you know, I, or I might just refer them in another direction to people who would better serve them. But, you know, dancers in career transitions, things like that, high school dancers, they know they love dance, but they don't know how to fit dance into their life or how can dance be a way for them to earn a living. And maybe they don't, they know they're not good enough to perform or they don't want to. So what else is there for them? Right. I just really try to expose students, you know, young dancers to options and help them see how dance entrepreneurship is actually a field that they can go into. Um, there's so much opportunity for them. Yeah, and I, that's I love your I love your the name of your business solutions in motion. The fact of the matter is, is there's a lot of solutions that people are looking for. And that's why I think it's unique about your business as well, is that you took your passion for dance, you took your experience, and you understood where there was gaps, right? There's gaps in understanding yes. how to get from here to there. And so I think that's really important for our listeners to hear is because there's always 
a solution that somebody is looking for that is centered around your passion. And if you can take your experience, you know, what do I know? What am I passionate about? And how can I combine the two? You'll often be able to find a place for you to sit and to make an income, make an impact, and ultimately really live the life that, that you want to live because you're, you're able to, you know, you're able to just live in your passion. So I, I love what you're doing. I think it's uh, definitely needed. Um, and I love the fact that you're, you're, you're taking what you've learned over, you know, decades and now being able to help other people find the bridge, so to speak, from where they are to where they want to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And it's true. I mean, you're, you're exactly right. Like students, they, they have a passion for dance, but again, you know, where can it lead them? And like the workshops that I do help dancers put together, okay, what is my passion and what are my interests? What, what, plan or, or channel can I take? And maybe a lot of dancers have multiple passions too, even outside of dance. And I have so many examples of dancers who are working in the areas of science and medicine and healthcare and health and wellness. And, and then of course, dance business. It's really, I love learning about what dancers are doing. They're so creative and they are great problem solvers and they keep finding niches for themselves in very creative ways in other disciplines and other industries too. It's remarkable what dance can do. Yeah, love it, love it. Sydney, if people wanna find out more about you and connect with you, where where can they do that? Yeah, so I'm working on a website. I'm hoping to have it up around the end of January. Uh, It will be dancesolutionsinmotion.com. So meantime, you can find me on Instagram, Dance Solutions in Motion, or on Facebook, which is solutions in motion. Well, listen, it's been a, it's been an absolute privilege and a lot of fun conversation. A lot of, I, I know that my listeners here are going to get a lot of good information from today. So I appreciate you being on and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see all uh, the dancers you're going to serve here with your, your vast knowledge going forward. So thank you again. Thank you so much. And I do have to add in college, you also learn about choreographing <laughs> too which is awesome. That is definitely, definitely some, <laughs> some of our, some of our freestyle dancers that, that, that makes them cringe a little bit, but we know that there's. Oh, improvisation too is, is, is very important in, in that creative uh, process as well. And, and it's celebrated too in college. Improvisation is very important and, and often of course, you know, there's room for that as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, thank you so much. And we will talk uh, again soon. Thanks for having me, Jesse. It was great talking to you too. Thank you for listening to another episode of the My Creative District podcast with your host, Jesse Paul Smith. Here, we turn your passion into profit. Follow us on Facebook and stay tuned for another episode of the My Creative District podcast.